Excellent. All right, why don't you grab a seat and we're going to transition into our time in the Word now. So you might get your Bibles out and get that ready to go. Well, it is good to get back into 1 Corinthians. We've been away for a while because we have been uh, uh, having a little series on the Holy Spirit that 1 Corinthians 12 brought up. And so we've talked about the gifts of the Spirit and we've talked about uh, the filling of the Spirit and we've talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And so now we're getting back to 1 Corinthians uh, today. Now it's been a little while, so I just want to remind us of the situation uh, that's going on here and Paul is writing a letter to a church that he himself founded in the city of Corinth. And the city of Corinth was major city of the day, mega city of the day. It was a place of commerce, lots of business. It was a city where uh, they were obsessed with uh, religion and sex and money. Sound like any place you live? I think so. Huge social diversity, lots of tension racially, social class, uh, class tension within the, uh, within the city. And so the, the church resembled many of the tensions and struggles that were evident within the city itself. And so we have been reading through 1 Corinthians and studying this. And what have we seen? We've seen that uh, they really could divide and, and, and fight over just about anything. And Paul has been writing this letter addressing some of these concerns and some of these areas that have been divisive to them. And what we've seen so far is things like within the church, people having their favorite leader and following him. Uh, we have seen issues with lawsuits amongst Christians in the church. We've seen issues about uh, Christian liberty and some people thinking they're free to do this and other people thinking, no, that's not something that Christians ought to be doing. And finally, we've been talking about spiritual gifts and some of the issues that have been related to that. Now, the so what of this, you might say, well, who cares? I mean, so the church looks like Congress, no big deal. Uh, Actually, here's the big deal, is that Jesus Christ died to redeem a people that are his own. Prayed in his high priestly prayer, Lord, make them one even as you and I are one. And so a church divided is a church that is against the will of God and against the will of our blessed Savior. This is not what he did. And we saw in verse 13 that the Spirit at salvation relocates every Christian into the one body of Christ. His intent, his goal is harmony, not division. So what we find now as we move forward is verses 14 through 27 is one long illustration. Paul's doing here what all communicators have to do. He's giving a big illustration so they can understand what he's getting at and why, why he is saying what he is doing. And good illustrations are ones that everybody can relate to. Now, I have done exhaustive studies sociological studies, geographical studies, historical studies. I've searched the Greek. I've searched the Hebrew, read all the encyclopedias, done all the scientific research. And I can tell you definitively that people in the first century, they all had bodies. 
all of them had a body. So an illustration that had about the human body would be one that everybody in the first century could relate to. Now, here's the beauty of this illustration, is I think probably everybody here can relate to having a body. Anybody here not have a body? Anybody here having an out-of-body experience this morning? No. So that's the good news. What Paul's talking about here is something that all of us can relate to because all of us have a body, just like they did in the first century. Now, the core concept of what he is saying, he repeats in verse 12, 14, 20, and 27. And you can just see it in verse 14. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. So one body, lots of parts to the body, yet one body, lots of different functions, yet one body. That's kind of what he's saying here in this illustration. I also want to tell you that this is about as close as the apostle Paul gets to being humorous. If you read the Bible, it's a serious book. The Bible is a very serious book. Very occasionally, there is a quasi-somewhat humorous illustration or comment. Jesus had some. He talked about the guy. You know, imagine a guy who's all concerned with a little sliver in his friend's eye, and he's got this log out of his own eye. That's like, that's messianic humor. And here we have apostolic humor, about as close as, as we get. And since there's not that much of it in the Bible, let's enjoy it while we have it, okay? So this is a very... It's a very simple illustration. Everybody here is going to be able to understand it. And yet it's very profound in its implication. So, and it's also somewhat humorous. And the, here's the humor. Here's the illustration. Paul now describes a body that's not getting along. An unhealthy body. And in an unhealthy body, if the body parts could talk... What would they say, both to themselves and to one another? Talking body parts. That's the illustration. So, let's get into it. And it's a long section of scripture, and I'm just going to kind of work my way through rather than reading all of it at once. But basically here, he's describing two different attitudes. And many of the commentaries and people that that, uh, teach on this... They all say the same thing. I'm saying the same thing because it's exactly what he, is, what he is describing here. Here's the two attitudes. Gift, inferior, complex, and gift, superior, complex. And you might ask yourself as we work through this whether you might have one or the other. Okay, so with that, let's get into the text now. In fact, let's pray. Let's just pray and ask God to help us. Lord, as we come to your word now, I pray that... We would embrace what we believe your word says about itself, that every word is inspired, that every word is profitable, that there is something that your spirit intends from every portion of scripture. And here in chapter 12, there is a word, a a refining, there is a truth here that our congregation really needs. And I pray that you would help us to understand it with our minds and embrace it with our hearts so that with light in our head and heat in our heart, we might be transformed and leave here more the kind of church and the kind of people that you would have us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. 
that would not make it any less a part of the body. Okay, just stop there. Gift, inferiority, complex. This is not hard to imagine, isn't it? If you were the foot, and if you were prone to being uh, envious, you probably could cast an envious eye towards the hand, couldn't you? In fact, to just sort of expand on the concept he's bringing up here, imagine a foot saying something like, why am I the foot? Why do I bear the weight of this whole body? And what do I get for that? They cover me up, for goodness sakes. It's like they're embarrassed of me. Do they know how hot it is in this shoe? Do they, do they realize what sweat smells like in an enclosed place like this? I'm dying down here. And look at the hand, all nicely ventilated. Nails cut twice as often as mine. Washed on a regular basis. Creamed with scented creams. And how nice would it be to have that opposing thumb? Look at that hand. He's got an opposable thumb on it. Look what he can do with that opposable thumb. He can hold. He can grab. He can type. He can play. Why didn't I get the opposable thumb? I wish I had the opposable thumb. I can't compete with that. No wonder people shake hands and not feet. I think, I think the real purpose of shoes is to hide me. I, I fear I'm an embarrassment to the body, that I'm not really that important, certainly not like the hand. Now, that's my expositional expansion of what Paul has said here. A foot... Thinking to himself how great it would be to the hand and coming to the conclusion that because it's not the hand, it's really not that important to the body. Now he gives another illustration in verse 16 about an ear wishing it was an eye. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So here we have now the ear. And the ear is casting an envious eye on the eye. <laughs> that came out funny. Uh, and, and saying things like, if I could expand on that a little bit, why am I the ear? All my amazing functions hidden inside the head. Nobody notices me. And if they do notice me, it's because my lobes stick out too much. I never get compliments, not like the eye. How often do you hear somebody say, what beautiful ears you have? <laughs> it's always what beautiful eyes you have. Even kids are taught by their fathers on Father's Day to ignore me. Son, look the person in the eye. They never say, look the person in the ear. <laughs> Why the eye? The eye can't hear anything, yet people want to meet eye to eye on things. It's never ear to ear. I don't really matter around here, not like the eye. So feet wishing they were hands, ears wishing that they were eyes, 
This is gift inferiority complex. And the analogy is, here we are in a chapter all about spiritual gifts, the analogy is within the church where you have this wide diversity of gifts that the Holy Spirit has given uh, to every single Christian. Let me just repeat that part of our teaching already. If you are a Christian, you have a gift or some gifts that the Spirit has given to you, uniquely enabling you to do things within the body of Christ, the church, that the body needs and the Spirit viewed needing. I didn't say that well. The My tongue, come on, use your gift. Uh, the Spirit in his wisdom, viewed you as the right person to have that gift to bless the church. So that's the analogy. Body parts with inferiority complex, not thinking they're that important, wishing that they had some other gift. Feet to, feet to uh, uh, hands and ears to eyes. Now Paul's response to this is... That just because we have this complex doesn't mean that we don't have a very important part in the body. It doesn't mean that we don't belong to the body. He says this now in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? So beyond the fact that a body part can't like self-amputate just because it's got a bad attitude doesn't mean it just floats off from the body. It still belongs to the body. If, if all there was was an eye, where would the hearing go? And if, the hear, if there was no hearing, this would be a problem, wouldn't it? Who here would want to give up their hear, hearing? That would be a horrible thing. To hear the birds chirping in the morning, uh, to hear the coffee brewing, and to hear Pastor Steve at church. This would be such a devastating experience. So we all want our sense of hearing. So if all you had was an eye, that would be a problem. In fact, I got thinking about how often in our movies, monsters have some body characteristic that is super exaggerated. So you have the one-eyed monster or, you know, the huge hands or something like that. Things out of proportion. That's a monster. That's not a healthy body. A body needs an ear. A body needs a foot. And an ear that is thinking this is seriously underestimating its importance. A deaf body is a problem. A footless body is a problem. So what happens, I think, is that when we have gift inferiority complex, effectively what we are doing is we're underestimating how important our role is within the body. And what happens with that then is it diminishes. When, when, we, have, when we have this complex, we, oh, I'm not that important. I'm not as important as other people. It diminishes our desire to serve and our enthusiasm and our willingness to use our gift. And the fruit of that, like a body that doesn't have a functional ear or foot, is that it disables the entire church. Is our church, is our church disabled? Because you are not using your gift? I'd like you to think about that. Now the real problem here, the real issue is in verse 18. This is such a wonderful little verse here. Here's what it says. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Say those words with me. As he chose chose. The noun is he who's that? God. The verb is chose. God 
chose. The thing that you have, this enablement that you have, is something that in the sovereign wisdom of the eternal God, he decided you were the perfect person to have that. And he gave it to you. It is a, it is a gift. Charismata. It is a grace gift. None of us deserve any of the gifts that we have. God has bestowed them upon the church. The gift is a gift to the church. And since you have the gift, so are you. We all are gifted in this body, this local church. And all of this by God's choice. So one way to look at spiritual gifts is the same way that we look at salvation. That salvation is a gift. It is, it is something that God gives to us. We've done nothing to earn it. We've done nothing to deserve it. And there's no reason for any of us to get all haughty that we've been saved. There's no boasting in it, Ephesians 2 tells us. And there's no boasting in what gift we have. And there should be no disappointment in what gift we have either. This is all from God. He chose. He gave it to us. So when we depreciate our own gift... What we are really doing is we are questioning God's wisdom and God's goodness. You see what I'm saying? If God is the one who gave it to us and he said, you're, I need you to do this. When I say, I think you made a mistake, I'm questioning his wisdom. I'm questioning his goodness. Both of these are bad. In fact, it's a form of blasphemy because God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So, let's just take a moment right now and, and ask the question, am I, do I appreciate the gift that, or gifts that God has given to me? Or do I have gift inferiority complex? Am I envious of somebody else's gift? Am I jealous of what somebody else does? Can I trust God's wisdom in giving me what he gave to me? Enough to use my gift faithfully and enthusiastically and in harmony with the rest of the body. This is the problem with gift inferiority complex. Okay. You with me? The foot wishing it was a hand, the ear wishing it was an eye. This is not a healthy body. The second attitude that he addresses here is in a way the opposite of the first one. Gift inferiority complex gift superiority complex okay this is somebody who has an overinflated view of their worth of their own gift and he addresses this in verse 20 as it is there are many parts yet one body the eye cannot say to the hand i have no need of you nor again the head to the feet i have no need of you So the danger of the less noticeable gifts is to underestimate how important they are. The danger of those with the more noticeable gift is to overestimate how important they are. And the picture here is an interesting one of an eye. And it's not hard for our, it's not hard to see how the eye may have a slightly overinflated view of itself because it gets so much focus. I mean, how women here, some of you've done things to decorate your eye before you came to church today. You didn't do it to your ear, did you? No, I've never seen mascara on the ear. We don't want to draw attention to that, but the eyes, we draw attention to the eyes. Yes. Yeah, so not hard to see how the eye could have a high view of itself. So the eye with a high view of its own worth looks to the hand and says, you know what? I don't need you. What do you, what, what have you done for me lately? I don't need you at all. 
Now, is that true? Would it be better or worse for the body to have the hand or not to have the hand? And if the eye was thinking, but eyes can't think because they don't have a brain. Okay, I don't know where that came from. But <laughs> like the other, I was mowing my yard the other day and there were some wasps spinning around. And I thought, well, they'll see that I'm mowing and they won't take any issue. But then I thought, when your brain's that small, what? What do you think about, you know, probably not rationally discerning my purpose for being there. It's just, but the eye doesn't even have the brain of a wasp. <laughs> so the, <laughs> some of you are going, and neither do you, Pastor Steve, or you wouldn't say things like that. But if the eye could, had wisdom, it could see that it really does need the hand. And the hand does a lot of really good things for the eye, like... Feed the body. The eye needs nutrition. My, when I drink, I do this number, right? My hand is doing it. Very hard to drink without your hands. You can probably do it, but it doesn't go so well. So the hand is, and what does the eye need? It needs this liquid over it and tear ducts that do its thing. And so the, the eye needs the hand. If it, if it thought about it, it would need the hand. But in its own inflated sense of self, it can minimize the value of other less obvious purposes that these other parts of the body serve. Okay, that was some explanation there. Or the head, it says here, to the feet. The head could say, feet, I don't need you. I don't need you. As I was saying earlier, you know, nobody focuses on the feet. We tend to hide them. Most people say, oh, there's no, no such thing as beautiful feet. All feet are ugly. Maybe you've heard that. Perhaps you don't agree with that. You're all going, mine ain't so bad. But that's because you have an inflated sense of your own <laughs> beauty. But if you think of it, if, if my feet suddenly were not there, what would happen to my head? You know, the head's laying on the ground going, you know, maybe I, maybe I needed those feet a little more than I realized. The head needs the feet. Gift superiority complex. I told you, it's a very simple illustration that he's, that he's using here, profound in its implication. Pastor Gary read to our staff at Staff Chapel a few weeks ago a little story that illustrates this very well. I think you'll get what it's, it's saying. It seems that the members of a certain body were angry with the stomach because all it did was consume food. Simply put, he did not work as hard as they did. The legs complained about all the walking they did in search for food. The hands spoke of the tiresome job of meal preparation. The eyes were upset because all they did was look for food to, stat to satisfy the demands of that lazy stomach. The teeth were worn out with constant chewing and the throat was weary from swallowing. So they went on strike. After some days, however, the legs were too weak to rise. The hands had no strength and the eyes were droopy. The stomach encouraged them to do their job of getting him food so they would all feel strong again. At first they refused, but they finally all agreed. Soon they found their strength renewed as they began to work together for the good of all. Very simple illustration. 
that rascally stomach. It doesn't seem to be doing anything. And yet all this effort to put food into it, it's not that important. Oh, wait a second. It really, really is. And what was going on here at Corinth was in the body life of the church, there was an obsession that they had with the more public, spectacular gifts. From chapter 14, I would say it probably was speaking in tongues. So they obsessed over this one gift. And when you put that one gift so high, it, it minimized the role and the value of the other. So the people that had the one gift were all like, gift superiority complex. Well, look at me. I have the gift and you don't. The people that didn't have the gift, gift inferiority complex, thought, oh, I even use my gift? It doesn't matter because I don't have the big public one. And it just brought all kinds of problems within the church. Remember, the gifts of the Spirit are not a sign of spiritual maturity. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control that are evidences that we are growing in Christ and the Spirit is in control of our life, not the gifts. But our flesh loves nothing more than to divide over things. Think of all the crazy things that within a church that people can get huffy about and, and rivalry and have division about. And, and pretty soon we're looking at other people and saying they're not that important. And we're looking in the mirror and saying, I'm really important. And this is how it goes. This happens all the time. And it was going on at Corinth. And we don't want it to go on here. So Paul, the doctor here, prescribes a cure for these two complexes. And we find them in verse Uh, 22 and through 24. Here's what he says. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. All right. Now, he's continuing the analogy and he's saying, if you think about your body, you have, you have different parts in your body. There are some that are strong and there are some that are more delicate. There are some that are presentable and there are some that we don't present and we clothe Hide greater modesty as he says it here. It would be a very serious mistake to say that just because something is little in the body, it's not really that important. Or because something is not visible, as visible in the body, it's not that important. In fact, ask anyone here who's ever had a slip disc, hernia, vertigo, leaky heart valve, sciatic nerve, or dare I say hemorrhoid, little parts working right are really, really important. Now, I'm living my own illustration of this uh, right now in my life. Tell you a quick story. Last October, um, you know, basketball's getting going. Guys are playing basketball. I'm like, all right, it's time to get playing basketball. So I went out and I had my first time playing basketball. So I'm playing, and as I'm playing, my right knee starts hurting. And I'm like... I played basketball all my life. I've never had knee problems. I've never really had too many problems at all. All of a sudden, my right knee is hurting. And I, so I take myself out, and I'm like, what is that? So 
I limped to my car. I limped to the office the next day. And, you know, a man with my obvious youthfulness, we just wait to get better, you know. So I waited to get better. And uh, slowly, very slowly, it got better. So I waited three months before I went and played basketball again. So I thought, I can go now. I got a brace. I'm going to go play again. So I played uh, a little bit one night. I played a little bit more the, a week later. Well, as I'm playing the second time, I'm like, oh, my knee is hurting again, just like last time. So I take myself out, and I'm sitting there, I'm going, oh, no, something, something good is not good. What's going on here? And so I limped to my car. I could hardly walk for like a week or two. And some of you might have noticed, you know, I, I, I sort of like to bound up the stairs to, to preach the sermon. If you noticed, I was, I was kind of coming up the stairs like this, and... You thought I was just looking for sympathy, and it's true. So, <laughs> so I'm waiting for it to get better. This is back in February. I'm waiting for it to get better. And it's slowly getting better, but not like really getting better. So finally, I thought, I've got to go see a doctor, which, speaking for the men here, we hate the most. And so I set up an appointment with an orthopedic. I went to see him. I described the injury. He's looking at it, and he goes, listen, I'll just tell you right now medial meniscus tear. That's what you got. And I'm like, what? Medial meniscus. I didn't even know I had a medial meniscus. (laughs) Suddenly became very, very important. Now, just so you all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) If you notice over here on the right... Okay, by the way, this is your knee, all right? This is your knee. Over here on the right, uh, third one up, it says medial meniscus. And it's pointing to this really little piece of tissue in the knee. And it's got a little roll in there. It kind of is kind of a little cup, and it lets your thigh bone connect to your shin bone down there. And so it just kind of holds it there. And it's, it's very, very small. So very little. It's just, just a little thing. Great pain when it's not working, let me tell you. And so I have a torn medial meniscus. And he says, well, we'll just schedule the surgery and, and we'll get that taken care of. And of course, I'm like, ah, what surgery? Yeah, why? Because when little things aren't working right, it's a big deal. Like how many of you this morning woke up and said, thank you, God, for a properly operating medial meniscus? Probably not. Probably not. But right now, I would trade medial meniscuses with you. I would love to have a properly operating right medial meniscus. In fact, I am reminded that it's not working right nearly every step I take. Tweak, tweak, tweak. A little something there. Little things make a big difference in the body. I'm having surgery in July. In case some of you are looking to cook. (laughs) Now, Paul points out another... (laughs) Paul points out another thing of the body. And this is a little bit awkward. If this is the funniest that Paul gets, it's also about the most risque... There's probably, I think of one in Galatians that's more risque than this, but this is probably top five. He says, what we all know to be true, 
that we have presentable parts and we have unpresentable parts. Do I need a diagram for this particular verse? I think not. And he says here, don't we give the unpresentable parts a certain kind of honor by clothing them that our more visible parts don't receive? In a way, aren't we giving honor to them by hiding them with proper modesty? Indeed. In fact, we don't even really have to think about that. How many of you have ever gone to the store and forgotten to honor your unpresentable parts? <laughs> Probably not. Every single day we give honor to those parts. What Paul is saying here is that all parts of the body are important. And we wouldn't want to be without any of them. They all belong. They all belong. Verse 24, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Here's now the thing. That there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. This is where all of this is going. What Paul, why all the eyes and feet and ears and all the rest? What are you trying to say? This is what he's wanting to say. Why has God arranged it this way? So that there would not be division in the body. A body that is divided against itself, a body that is at war with itself, is a diseased body. That is not a healthy body. A healthy body, verse 25, is one where all the parts of the body care, same care, for one another. Let me tell you about a disease. You've probably heard of the disease leprosy. Let me just talk about this. We don't you know, run into it that much here. But in the ancient world, this was a major, major disease. If you read through the New Testament, Jesus oftentimes came upon lepers. And he amazingly touched them, healed them, and all the rest. But here's the thing about leprosy. Leprosy is a disease where the extremities of your body lose sensation. It's a nerve thing. So that the finger can feel warmth or cold or pain or whatever it might be, touch even. But that sensation is not felt by the rest of the body. Now you say, well, how big a deal is that? Well, think of all the times where you could, you know, burn, freeze. Imagine, you know, slamming your finger in the door and not feeling it. This would be a problem over time. Think of the damage that not feeling your finger would do to the body, not having a functional finger, and to the finger itself. The finger needs the body. The body needs the finger. Leprosy disconnects. There's, there's not a sense of feeling one way or the other. It doesn't feel warmth. It doesn't feel cold. It doesn't feel connected. A healthy body senses every pain, every touch throughout the entire body. So that, for example, if, 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 you, if you're hammering, and just this is an illustration we all can relate to probably. If you're hammering a nail, and you know where I'm going, and if you come down and you miss the nail and you hit your thumb, an unhealthy, a healthy body feels that instantly. You know what I'm talking about? That instant feeling, like, ah, right? The whole body feels what's going on. An unhealthy body would slam the thumb and would 
You know, here's the thumbnail. Wow, wow, wow. And the healthy bat, stupid thumb. You should have got out of the way. <laughs> Didn't you learn from the last time that we did this? That would be a very unhealthy body, wouldn't it? A healthy body. What, what does a healthy body do? And you don't have to read books about this. You don't have to take classes on this. A healthy body. Oh, right. Oh, oh, a healthy body instantly cares for every part in the body. It feels what that part is feeling. And wants to come to the aid. Wants to give care and love. That is a healthy body. That is verse 25. In a healthy body, in a healthy church, we have the same care for one another. So that in a healthy church, when somebody is going through a trial, the church is not looking at them and saying, Did you see this coming? What is your problem? Why why didn't you get out of the way? The healthy church comes alongside in the midst of that and shows care and love. Why? Because we're feeling what they are feeling. They are connected to the church. We're in this together. If one part is hurting, the rest of the body is hurting. Now, it's simple. I know this is very simple. But oh, how important. Oh, how important it is. Friends, we are the body of Christ. This church is a full manifestation of the body of Christ. It is not the entire body. That is the universal church, every believer from all of history who's ever trusted in Christ around the world. But this is a local church, and every local church is a full manifestation of the church. We are the body of Christ. If you are a Christian and you are connected here at this church... You are a part of this body, which means that all these things we're talking about in terms of the dynamic of the way that we relate to one another and use our gifts is something that you have a role to play. And if you're thinking right now, oh no, it's not that important. That's gift inferiority complex. You've got a disease if you're thinking that way. Or if you're right here now going, well, you know what? I would connect here, but looking around here, I'm too good for these people. They don't deserve me. You have gift superiority complex. Healthy is where I am valued as a part of the body and where I value the body. It is a two-way street. And the lifeblood of this, my friends, is love for one another. That's why Paul, I mean, just a few verses, Paul is going to famously say these words. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And in the body life of our congregation, the blood... The blood is love. The thing that goes to all the extremities and all the parts of our body is love. And when there is not blood getting to where it needs to go, that is a big time problem. We need to make sure as a church that we are doing our very best to pump all the way through this entire church. The love of God shed in our hearts expressed to one another. 
This is the gospel. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. We never can get past those two things, can we? And how important it is in a church. This is, this is health. And this is what we're aiming at. All right, I have two very brief applications now uh, to conclude our message today. How to avoid spiritual leprosy. And the first thing I want to say is that every Christian needs to be sufficiently connected to a local church enough to feel. Okay, enough to feel. Remember, leprosy, it doesn't feel. This finger is not felt by the body. In a way, you could say the, 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 the finger doesn't feel the body. Leprosy spiritually is when I can kind of live my life, I can even be a part of a local church, and the ebb and flow of the church, the ups and the downs, the joys and the sorrows, the trials and the troubles, and the glad things as well that people go through, I am numb to it. I'm numb to it. Now, there are many people that will try to make an argument. Well, you know, you really, you, you shouldn't be belong to a church. There'll be anti-membership. And t- not always, but oftentimes, it is because they have had some experience in the body. Some church somewhere that was bad and it was painful. And so their theology ve- veers with their experience. And they say, you know, it's a lot better off to be numb. It's better not to be connected. It's a safe it's safe that way. And so they hunker down and they have their little bunker at home and have church with their family or something and call it good. Because that church, all oh, that, those local churches, it's, it's too painful. Friends, that is leprosy. It, it may seem nice not to have pain, not to have sensation, not to have any of that. But in reality, like with leprosy, it does damage to the body part and it does damage to the church. So can I ask you, are you sufficiently into the body life of this local church? Where, when needs are shared, you feel. You feel it. When joys or successes are shared, you also feel that kind of gladness. Because you're a part of the body. You say, well, I don't know. Well, here's the solution. It really comes back to Christ. When we recognize what the church is, bought with the precious blood of Christ, he obviously has a high value on the church. Nobody can say, oh, Jesus doesn't value the church. He died for it. And when we share that kind of a value for it, what happens is that we... In spite of all the imperfections, in spite of the dysfunction, in spite of the challenges, we will love the church. Kind of like your body, if I could say that. We all look in the mirror and we see things we like and we see things that we don't like. Things that we can sort of be happy in and things that we have put up with for a very long time. And yet we all love our bodies, don't we? We care for them. We wash them and nurture them and go to the doctor for the body in spite of all of its imperfections. And every local church is like that. We've got zits here. We've got, we've got uh, aches and pains. And we've got things that aren't quite working the way that they should. And all the rest. Yet, this is a church body to love. Are you connected here enough to feel that? 
to experience the body as God intended, I would encourage you to get connected. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, get, get in, connected in ministry. Be in a small group. Get connected with some people. Come talk to me if you're like, I totally don't know how to get connected. I'm standing right here in the back or something. Come talk to me. I'm good at, like, skin graft. I would encourage you to be life-giving here with an attitude of encouragement and love and kindness. Secondly, get connected enough to be felt. Get connected enough to be felt. The first point is to be connected enough to feel the body life. The second is uh, enough for the body to feel you. You know, right now, if there was a vote in my body, most of my body would vote my right knee off of the island or out of the body. Okay? Because my body is not happy with my right knee. Now, why did you do that? Why? (laughs) We're all functioning fine. Spectacular, in fact. But you... You and your issues. But there's no denying that my medial meniscus is a part of my body. Why? Because my whole body can feel it. My whole body can feel it. All the parts are aware of the issue in the knee. And, you know, being a part of the church is much more than ministering to others, although it is part of that. It is the joy of being ministered to. To be a part of the church is to have a whole assembly of people, a congregation, a community of faith that is here with you in your life, to walk with you in in your troubles and to rejoice with you in your gladness and to love and nurture. and, And this is what God intended humanity to be, to be lived in community. We're not intended to be isolationists. We're not intended to be on our own. He wants us to live our life and faith with one another. Are you connected enough here where when you are hurting, the rest of the body is aware of it? We have, we have a number of times, we have the experience here where we get a report, somebody's got something going on. And we're like, does anybody know who this is? And then we reach out to them and we say, oh, how you, have you been coming to the church? Ten years. I've been coming for ten years. And we're like, Really? That person's not connected enough to the body. They're hurting and we don't, there's not a, there, there's no network. There's no, there's no connection. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. God doesn't want you to be that person. So let me ask, are you connected enough for the church to know other Christians, to f- live that with you, to feel that with you, to care for you, to rejoice with you, to meet your needs? I could stop right now. I don't have time and just kind of look around. And, and last night, I, Tom Hill was sitting in the third row. I shared last weekend, Tom Hill lost his brother. God remarkably brought him to faith in Christ like weeks before he died. And, uh, you know, Tom's small group rallied to him and others been loved to them and all, all the rest. And I, I, he was right here. And I said, I could have had Tom Hill stand right now and give a testimony to how God has used the church. And it's been wonderful for him. And I didn't because I didn't have time last night. I was even later last night than I am right now. But it was, it was, that's what I'm talking about. And I could look around here and say, oh, remember when you had that? And remember when you had, and you, you remember with that? And well, how did the body and respond? And would you rather have gone through that all by yourself or with people like Loving you and caring for you and uplifting you. Are you connected enough to where there are, you have that? And if not, why not? 
This is one of these messages where I can, you know, we could just kind of throw these things out and we get the illustration, but the application of it is not something that I can do for you. This body needs you to start working, start doing your thing here. And as you do, guess what? Other people are like, wow, that finger is really great. Oh, I love him too. Let's be in a small group together. (laughs) And now when this finger is hurting, this finger is like, oh, we have so got to rally to him. So all they come around. (laughs) You get what I'm saying, right? (laughs) 45 minutes and finally I connect. So that's a healthy church. Plurality in unity. Lots of gifts. One body. And that's what we want very much Bethel Church to be. Friend, we need you. Christian friend, we need you here. Your gift is vital. And you are too. And you know what? You need us more than you realize you need the body so we need you you need us and together we are the body of christ let's shoot for that okay amen let's stand together